This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for supporting us over at patreon.com slash Show or shopping using the DMs Guild or Amazon affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. Hi, I'm Eric scott author and writer in the Forgotten Realms, and you're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, Jeff Greiner. Once a month, I interview a member of the gaming community because gamers are awesome and the world needs more awesome. With me for this episode of Gamer to Gamer is Mike Shea. You Hello. May, yeah, you may know Mike from Behind the DM Screen, a show he does with me here on the Tome Show, or on his new podcast, The DM's Deep Dive, over at the Don't Split the Podcast Network, run by the former Tome Showers and friends to us all, James Intricaiso and Rudy Basso. Uh, but you're just as likely to know him from his popular blog, Sly Flourish, and his former books, like The Lazy DM and Fantastic Locations, and we'll get a little bit of a, a taste of what he's working on now in a second. Uh, those, are, so, those are still books. They're not th- former th- books. Those are Well, yes. No, your, your, okay. your former projects. They're still they, out there. They are finished projects that are still for sale and fantastic, <laughs> and everybody should read them. Or uh, was it Lazy DM that's available as well as yeah, an audio book? Yeah, Dungeon Master. Yeah. Uh, so, so there, oh, yeah, I guess Lazy yes, Dungeon Master. Yes, book, right. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, we're going to highlight uh, him a little bit in this episode of Gamer to Gamer, figure out a bit more about who the heck this guy is uh, and, and why we should all be paying attention to him. So Mike, even though you've already introduced yourself, welcome to Gamer to Gamer. Thank you. So at the towards the end of the episode, we're going to hit him with the lightning round and see if he can beat the current best time. But before we do that, let's get to know Mike Shea. Who is Mike Shea, Mike? I make the same tired ass joke about like who is anybody, so uh, I won't make that joke. Okay. Um, I am a uh, technologist and a writer uh, and an RPG enthusiast who lives in uh, Northern Virginia. Um, I've been playing D and D since I was probably about fourteen, like on and off from like age fourteen. Started with second edition, so I don't I don't have all the first edition credit of a lot of people. Uh, played a lot of second edition. Played uh, a lot of three point five. And then got really heavily involved in the earliest days of fourth edition. Uh, you know, played through fourth edition, played through the playtest, played a bunch of different RPGs in between 4e and, and 5e, and uh, now very heavily into uh, D&D fifth edition. Mm. Um, and also, t- I tend to be pretty OCD about any hobby I get, so I end up writing a lot of books and writing a lot of blogs and doing a lot of podcasts and doing all sorts of stuff. I, I can't just play. Mm-hmm. I have to, like, be involved. You say you're a technologist, and I'm going to get back to the D&D stuff. But you say you're a technologist. Sure. What, what does that mean? Uh, it, it's a cop-out. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about my work? Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, well, like, you know, so, so I, I do a lot of – so I've done, I did a lot of web technology 20 years ago. Um, I love – I still make my own websites. I still write my own back-end software to handle my websites. Um, but I, I don't have any formal computer science background nor any sort of statistics background or anything like that and have found myself in sort of a data science role. And I enjoy that a whole lot. I, I, I had a couple projects on Sly Flourish that sort of dug into that. I'm working on one now, uh, analyzing a million D&D tweets uh, to see what's in those. Um, but I just, I love writing code. Uh, I, I, my job has, you know, switched from sort of development and, and building prototype applications. And then uh, I switched into management for a while and then into sort of the, I work for a nonprofit company, but there's like kind of a sales group. Um, and so I worked for them for a little while, sort of, a, they, they call it a portfolio management role. Did that for a while and then said, you know, I really love coding. So I want to get back to doing some of that. And I switched my role and now I'm uh, uh, back with my, I still run a, I still run a group, but I, um, have my hands on a keyboard every day, uh, writing tons and tons of Python code, and I love it. Yay, Python! I guess Python. Yeah, Python. <laughs> is 
I mean, no, no, man, everyone loves Python. I mean, I'm not a coder, so I don't have any yeah. any particular feelings about Python. Well, I know that when Google hires people, you can write code for them in either Python or JavaScript, and my JavaScript is pretty crappy. So the fact that they even let you write in a language that I know, I'm pretty happy with. So, but yeah, so, lots of- so you're looking at a job in, in Google in the future? No, but it's funny. <laughs> I, was at, I was at Starbucks one time working on something, and I triggered there. They have an automatic system that lets you um, – it's sort of like an online application where you go through a bunch of these sort of joke exercises and it's actually their way to get a job interview. And I could only make it to through exercise too. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. The whole page, this is totally not related to D and D, but you're sitting there Google searching and all of a sudden the whole Google box will, will fold down. It does like a 3d thing and it folds into the screen. And then this weird prompt comes up and says, are you interested in playing a game like war games? And then you start, you're like, yes. And then you're at a command prompt and you're writing Python code to solve exercises. And that's, I, I, you know, did some research later, and that's how Google ends up recruiting people. So, that's amazing. That was my thought, yeah. So I told that to my boss, just so if I ever want to raise, I have an opportunity there. Yeah, say, how, how is this the first time I've ever heard that that's how they recruit people? And it's they, not and they, well they have known. a hu- lot of people. They do, yeah, and it's not real well known. Um, you know, but but you can you can go do searches for it. I forget what it's called. I still have access to it because I think once you get access, you always do. And I remember what it's called. But it's essentially this like puzzle terminal window. Hmm. It throws you into a Unix environment, and you can write Python code right, right into Unix, and then and then you have to solve these like you know pretty standard but outside of my league you know computer science problems, Fibonacci sequences and whatnot. That's amazing. Yeah. So you also listed yourself as an RPG enthusiast and a writer. Uh, yes. Are those two pretty intrinsically connected, or are there, is there other non-RPG related writing that you do? Uh, they are now. Um, that's a, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever talked about this before. Uh, I wrote a book. I wrote novels, and I wrote a lot of short stories. And um, I actually so and, and you know talk about nerd nerd nerdism here. Um, about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I got really maybe it was longer than that because it was before 2000, 1999. Uh, so almost 18 years ago, I got very heavily into a role-playing game called EverQuest, a massive online role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And um, I played 9,500 hours of EverQuest over about an eight-year period. And um, it was almost a full-time, almost 40 hours a week. Because basically I was working and I was playing EverQuest and that was it. And um, the good thing is from a loot perspective, I, I met my wife there. So uh, that, that turned out to be a really valuable <laughs> really yeah, valuable. Sure. Um, but I wrote a lot of fan fiction for them, and very much like my you know, D and D, I ended up writing a ton about the game. I wrote for a website called Mob Hunter, where the, we did a bunch of news things about EverQuest and a lot of commentary on it. I actually got invited out to go meet the guys at Sony who made it and 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 saw their whole thing. And we had these like weird council meetings where we have like what the players are looking for in this game. And now it got it got eaten by World of Warcraft, right? But, sure. But at the time, it was a really big deal. And uh, I wrote like I think I wrote. Th- 300 or 400,000 words of fan fiction uh, that's still up and available. You can find it somewhere on MikeShea.net. And it was all stories about my character. I played a, I played a priest, kind of a cleric, and it was all these backgrounds, you know, it was my kind of narrative of what was going on with my character. And people really liked it. I, you know, I had like eight dedicated fans who would, you know, read it. Hey, that's um, not bad. That's no, an audience. It, yeah, it was more than me, right. And um, people were eager to get the next chapter, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I, uh, for NaNoWriMo, Na- National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. one time, I wrote a book called Seven Swords. I wrote it by hand with a pen, um, about 60,000 words in a month, about, ten, uh, I forget what it came out to, about 2,000 words a day. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was like, I had a story in my head that had been there for 20 years, and I was ready to finally put it down on paper. Mm-hmm. And that book is available on Amazon, and I get about one sale every quarter. 
Uh, and that's great. But what I realized, and, and this kind of gets into the, the, the whole Sly Flourish stuff, is that, you know, we can be really passionate about something and it's just not anything anybody else really cares about. Right. And like no one needs Mike Shea to write a novel because there's a really there's a lot of good novels out there and novel reading a novel takes a lot of time. Hmm. So, you know, where can I and I didn't really start this way, but kind of I said, like, OK, uh, you know, what is something that I'm really interested in that I can write about that not a lot of other people are writing out? And, and at the time it was fourth edition dungeon mastering. Mm-hmm. Right. I said, I'm not going to just write about D&D. I'm not going to just write about D&D for fourth edition. I'm going to write about dungeon mastering for fourth edition of D&D. And that's going to be my focus for Sly Flourish. And I stuck to that focus. And now it's kind of switched over. I started writing about some other games a little bit. And now I switched over to fifth edition primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my, my goal there was like, I want to write something that I am good at writing that not a lot of other people are writing about and and really kind of grab onto that. And what I, you know, I... So I'm going to attribute almost any success that I've had to luck more than any other factor. Um, however, on top of all of the wonderful luck that I had, like I got retweeted early on by Tycho, uh, by, by Mike Rahulik at Penny Arcade. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to, my, to, to Michelle, my wife, about it. And I was like, you know, I, I talk a big game. Like I've got all this real fancy stuff. But how much can I point back and look at that time I got retweeted by him and I got my follower count like tripled? You know, that might have been the, the tipping point, right? Like that might have been the point where all of a sudden it gained this critical mass and people actually started reading my, my, my nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so luck, I think, has a huge factor, more so than any kind of like drive or motivation or energy or anything like that. Lucky is, you know, luck, luck plays a huge factor in all this. Um, but that focus, I think, helped a lot, too. And I helped with the Lazy Dungeon Master. It helped with DM Tips, my first, my first book. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm trying to do the same thing now, like fantastic locations was not a book like any other book. I tried to make it not like any other book, mm-hmm. fantastic adventures a little bit more. So, I mean, like, I think there are more things that aim towards this, but, um, I don't think, um, uh, I don't think there's enough of it because I see a lot of people who are interested. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we can was, talk about that a little that bit. Was the lightning round, was it? Cause that has the lightning. No, round. no, no, no. You're good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's there's an element of luck there. I think I don't you know I don't think anybody would discount that. But I think there's an element of of, of dedication and work and, and maybe a bit of OCD there too, right? I mean, you, you can't you can't not have that, right? I mean, but I mean, having that doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I mean, <laughs> Sly Flourish it sounds like was like project number two or three that was a pretty big deal for you. So, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I wrote like I yeah I wrote like a home theater website for many years, and nobody ever cared. Right. Like there was just there were either there were other home theater websites, but my friends used to go there and I used to review movies and I'd review home theater equipment. And I, I realized, like, I could have been wire cutter if I'd really, you know, put a lot into it. But oh, I sure. kind of got bored with it and stopped. But I did that for like six or seven years. What it did do is I wrote my million words. So, you know, once I get a million words out, I can, you know, writing words is easy for me now. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully they're, you know, hopefully each word is slightly better than they were back when I was just starting. Sure. And then what what was the the day and age of the the glorious legendary fountain pen review? Was that during the EverQuest uh, days or the the home theater it days? Right, it was right around the EverQuest days. Uh, it was after the home theater days, and yeah, I got into fountain pens in a big way, and I, I learned the glory that is Amazon referrals uh, because <laughs> I wrote a, I wrote a review. I wrote a, a big long review of different fountain pens that I tried, and fountain pens like they're you know. Total again, total luck. It turns out they're about the most perfect product to pitch on Amazon because they're just expensive enough that people that you'll make a really good commission, but just cheap enough that people will actually buy them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and um, I wrote this fountain pen review website and it was like the number two hit on Google for fountain pen reviews. It beat like all these other websites that didn't know how to write good websites. And, you know, for a few years I was making, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month off of fountain pen sales. Fountain pens, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was like, you know, total luck, but I, I just linked, you know, I just linked to Amazon and used my, my referral code and, 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 yeah. And then it disappeared. One day, like the fountain pen oligarchy took over. And now, <laughs> no, one ever, no one pays attention. The Get this Mike Shea out of our way. Like, you know, who's this whipper, you know, who's this, you know, upstart. Um, <laughs> the one other funny thing about fountain pens is they don't age. Like you can write a review of a fountain pen and that same fountain pen is still sold today. That was 20 uh, years ago. Sure. It's not like technology where if you write about a MacBook Pro, you're screwed six months nice. later. Yeah, to just keep writing that review over and over again. I have a fountain pen right here. I just pulled one out of a dish. One of, my, one of my favorites. The, 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 the Pilot Vanishing Point is my favorite fountain pen, if, you, okay. if anybody cares. The Vanishing Point is really, really nice. Well, I will. Next time I'm in the market for a, a fountain pen, I will make sure to remember that. I don't, I don't use fountain pens anymore, but yeah. I did. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to, to D&D. We, we've uh, we, I've successfully oh, taken us uh, around the corner yeah. on question one about who is Mike Shea. <laughs> so... Uh, so you mentioned that it was like, what, 14 or so you got into D&D? Tell us that story. How did you get into this game? I always liked, I always liked the idea of D&D, but for some reason I started with GURPS, and none of us had any clue how to play it. And we, we, I guess I wanted to be like sort of modern military or something like that. I was real big into G.I. Joe as a kid. And I tried GURPS with some friends, and it didn't really work, and then I kind of stopped doing it. And I don't remember exactly when we were like, you know, let's do a real D&D game. But I had some friends from high school that were willing to do it. And I ran a campaign back then that still I look back fondly on. It was it was all about the Zinterim, but it was back when the Zinterim were real nasty guys, not this mm. not this, you know, happy hippie Zinterim we have today. And <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think of them more as the mafia than happy hippies, but okay. Oh, but still, it wasn't Lord Manchun and right. and, and Fazul Shembrel and all that. Right. So I had this, you know, and I remember like the big climax of that campaign was Manchun was attacked by the party and he. Uh, broke his staff of the Magi when it was fully charged and blew up his entire tower with him and all the PCs in it. And I ended, <laughs> I ended like a major chapter of the campaign, and then they ended up in hell because they were all transported into hell because of the. the <laughs> staff. So it was, uh, you know, even even my crappy campaign back then was a lot of fun. I did make the mistake of having um, characters that I ran, mm-hmm. you know, like I characters too and my characters always got really great stuff i would like the ranger that was polymorphed into a a chimera and got 14 attacks around and all this nonsense Mm. but one thing i learned and i learned this more i think in high school than i did or in college than i did in high school was that the npcs that i brought to the table even though i did it a little bit in college they became part of the story so now they had characters in they, they really became npcs rather than just dmpcs and they had their own sort of plot lines that would affect the rest of the group. And the, and the players started to realize, like, wait a minute. You mean, like, our, that guy that we've been hanging out with, he's actually possessed by a lich. You know, like, what are we going to do about that? And it became, like, an interesting story idea. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, I don't I, – I hate all that. I don't, I don't run DMPCs. Um, I, I actually – even when we look at things like um, um, Storm King's Thunder and, and Harshnag, like, I couldn't wait to get Harshnag in and out of the story as fast right. as possible. Because yeah. the last thing – is a you know cross giant he only was there for one fight and the party was like how come he's not getting in here and fighting i'm like because he'd kill that thing in like three hits and then you know then you then you guys look like a bunch of chumps so um yeah so i really don't like but it was but it was interesting to like i can i can look back at my transitions to really understanding that the story is what i enjoy uh more so in college when we were playing second edition in college 
Um, and then I got out and played Magic for a long time. Then I didn't start playing third until I, I was uh, uh, here in uh, Northern Virginia and, and then Maryland playing with my wife and some other friends here. So, so you talked about how, how you started off with GURPS, but you didn't actually tell us how you got into it. Like, how did you know about D&D? How did you decide to start playing GURPS? Uh, were you always running games? Have you ever actually played any of these role-playing games <laughs> that we talk yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, play. But I, 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 and, I, and I've been in groups where, you know, where I'm just a player. Uh, but I much prefer DMing, and I think I always have. Um, you know, and, and part of that was, like, I was the one who wanted to do it, and nobody else was really as excited as I was about doing it, so you kind of end up as the DM mm-hmm. if you if you fall into that category. There was a game shop. I don't remember the name of it. It was in, this is in um, Chicago, at North, I think it was Northbrook Court, or uh, Deerbrook Mall was the name of the mall in, um, uh, in the northern suburbs of Chicago. And uh, there was a game shop there, and I remember that, actually, the, the thinking back, uh, about like I would just go to the shelves and look at the shelves and I see all these games and I'm like I saw Shadowrun and I saw Cyberpunk and I saw but the one that always grabbed me was Rifts mm-hmm. you know that the mm-hmm. cover of Rifts got, like this big pit fiend demon with a big you know weird ass laser gun in his hand and four women kind of had a like head dra- that looked kind of had a head that looked like a predator or something going on yeah yeah. And, and there was he was on this floating platform with these you know scantily clad you know they looked like drow you know white mm-hmm. hair dark skin and uh, and I was just like, man, like I was trying to like fit that into a D and D game, you know. And I was like, I don't know what kind of game that is. Never ended up playing Rifts at all, but but I remember the artwork was artwork that I was really liked. I played some old school Rifts. It it's uh, it was messed up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's you know I I I, I you know I, I liked it from a from a you know sort of an inspirational standpoint. Right. The novels um, were interesting. Yeah, so I think like just going going to that game shop and and picking up you know picking up those uh, you know those those books and looking at them I think is what got me really excited. And for some reason at the time I, I definitely had this like well D and D is too cool. Too many people are talking about D and D, so I don't want to do D and want to do something else. And then <laughs> you were always a hipster. You were a hipster before it's cool. Yeah, right. I was a hipster even before being a hipster is cool. And um, but then you know like oh I remember I think I think the thing that really dragged me in was playing the uh, gold box uh, computer games Polar Radiance and Curse mm-hmm. of the Azure Bond and streams uh, was it streams of silver or something like no that, I think that's a Salvador book um, it is a Salvador book but it may also be a game who knows yeah so they had like these these four gold box games and I remember playing those and just loving those and I was like I, and I bought a players have second edition players handbook just so I could kind of see like how the game worked you know because the rules were kind of the same. And uh, and I think it was because of that I was like I really want to get together and I got together you know three or four friends and then we started playing. And these are just like friends from high school or whatever. That, yeah. yeah, my high school, local high school friends. Right. right on. So so let's talk a little bit about about your gaming these days. Uh, what's mm. your what's your current group? What are you what are you playing these days? Well, luckily, it is all very well documented on yeah. <laughs> our behind the DM screen podcast. So I won't I won't get into too many details because people should feel free to go listen to behind the DM screen and they'll hear all about my campaigns. Um, but I've been primarily focused on the uh, hardback adventures that that uh, Wizards has put out. Um, I think I've played at least you know half of every one of them. Uh, I played all of the. Um, uh, the Rise of Tiamat and, and Horde of the Dragon Queen. I played Curse of Strahd all the way through. Um, the the bigger ones like uh, uh, Prince of the Apocalypse, you know, and uh, uh, Out of the Abyss both go to like 17 levels, you know, 16, mm. 17 levels. So I usually only get about halfway through each of those. Those I, I got about halfway through each of them. Um, and right now I'm playing Storm King's Thunder for for two groups. I have two two weekly groups, a Wednesday group and a Sunday group. Both are about two to three hours. The Wednesday group's usually about three hours. The Sunday group is two. Um, I like the I kind of like the short game format, mm-hmm. and um, 
Yeah, I love them, and I, I, you know, I like, I like the published adventures. I feel like, you know, when I pick that up and I open it, I can just see the money that it cost to make that, and I can see the talent <laughs> that went into it, the, the art, you know, and the, the art and the layout, and the design and the editing and the playtesting and everything. And I'm like, you know, why would I run my own when I can use this, which you know has the hands of a hundred people on it before it came to me, um, with the recognition, and I'm, and I feel like I've, I've got a pretty decent handle on customizing it for the group. So uh, Storm Kings, for example, I wasn't as happy with um, as some of the other campaign adventures because it's sort of loose in the beginning. Uh, and now that I've hit the sort of midpoint where they're actually going to the giant places and they're actually doing some of this now, both because the groups have, you know, I found like what the groups are interested in and because the adventure sort of hits its main stride and it really has interesting places to go and things to see um that you know I've, I've customized it a lot for both of the groups and both groups are very different which is kind of neat i had one car- one player that switched between one group and the other and uh it's like two totally separate games yeah but but oh sure so do you, you don't but, have any overlap between the two groups to completely different players no, totally different players yeah except that one but she she moved from one group to the other so she's not playing both groups is she your wife nope oh, no nope, okay. my wife <laughs> My wife plays. Uh, she, my wife, sat in on one of my Sunday groups, but she's she uh, uh, works at a, a local animal shelter, and that's her Sunday activity. Okay. So she gets enough. She she gets enough Mike Shea. She doesn't need another. <laughs> she doesn't need more. But but can you ever have enough D and D though? I don't know. It's a it's a. Uh, I think it's a she's had enough. You know, I think the weekly game is enough for her. We we will often do <laughs> two week. We used to do a lot of Adventures League, and she would play in both in both weekly uh, weekend games and then weekly games. She certainly keeps up. I mean, she and keeps you, up with me. You DM'd Adventures League too, didn't you? Uh, not as much. I oh, played okay. I played Adventures League. Yeah, I, I tended not to run it. I don't think I barely ever ran it. Yeah, I barely ever ran it. I just yeah. I, I just see a compulsion. You've got some control issues. You need to be running games. Yeah, but like like you said, like Adventures League, I definitely play as a mm-hmm. player. Um, and and I think a lot of it is I just really like the hardback adventures. You know, I like to I like I like the feel of them. Mm-hmm. So so I know you you talked about how you um, you run the published adventures, right? Um, but I also know because this is not the first time we talked about your game. Uh, I know that you you don't run them exactly as written. Like oh no, you, you customize no one should. And, yeah, yeah, right. So no so so tell us about about your version of these campaigns. Oh boy. So uh, and what's interesting is because I run them for different groups, I have two different like alternate parallel universes of these things. So like Curse of Strahd for one group is very different than the other. And I think like Curse of Strahd, you know, which again we talked about at length on the other one on the other show. Um, the fun thing there is that it got to a point where Strahd became the quest NPC instead of the villain for a little bit. He, he was mm. still the villain. But essentially what happened is like, you know, I always kind of my, my favorite way to approach any of these adventures is to kind of find a villain that I really like and then put myself in their in their place. Right. Put my you know, I like to see through the eyes of the villain. And um, with Strahd, it was like he, he brings the characters in and they come monkeying around in his in his sandbox and he's enjoying watching it because they're like this element of uncontrolled chaos that he you know that he can't control right he, he everything else he knows perfectly well but he doesn't know what these characters are going to do so they destroy the death house and that's interesting and then they're going around and doing some other stuff and as soon as they kill um baba Lasaga, that freaks him out because they're like you know baba Lasaga is really powerful and the fact that the characters kill her that means they can threaten him and that's mm-hmm. when he switches right in my mind like that's when he goes like oh i made a mistake like I thought I'd get killed by Baba La Saga and then I could find some other adventures. Um, 
And in one group, they killed Baba Lasaga, and they had this whole thing between um, Irina and uh, Irina's brother, who was the crazy guy with the weird arm that shot fire. I don't remember his name. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So he um, basically, as soon as they kill Baba Lasaga, Strahd says, "Okay, I got to get a hold of Irina. Like I'm, you know, she's now out there and is crazy out there. So I'm going to go get her." And but he loses track of her. One of the things that I kind of threw in is that he can't scry on her directly. You know, like he can't. Well, no, I guess there was some kind of reason. I think it was an amulet or something that she had where he couldn't see where she was. And then the brother took uh, Isaac was his name. Uh, Isaac took Irina to the Amber Temple because he said it's the only place Strahd won't go to. And I know in the book it's different. It's like Strahd goes there often. But in mine, there's a lit. The lich that's at that place is the lich that made Strahd. And the lich doesn't – The uh, I think Strahd had – I can't remember if Strahd had the phylactery. I think the Strahd had the lich's phylactery. So the, they were in this stalemate where mm. Strahd's not going to go to the lich because the lich will kick his ass in the Amber Temple. And the lich isn't going to go to Strahd because if he dies, then Strahd will have control of him because of the phylactery. So there's like this stalemate between the lich that lived in the Amber Temple and Strahd. But as soon as Irina shows up, the lich takes control of Irina. And he's like, now I've got another angle on Strahd, right? There's like this power play going on between the north and the south of Barovia. And the characters get involved. And in, the, in, in, in my Wednesday group, they beat the lich. They were like level 12 and they beat a lich. And it was really, you know, I had beefed them up and they still beat him. They're really, really good. And they found out that he had all these those coffins in the basement were filled with these like unnamed horrors from mm. other worlds. I basically used Tome of Beasts everywhere, and that each one was sort of a portal to a different plane. And one of those planes was a was a was a world that had been eaten not by vampires but by one single vampire. He basically was a primordial vampire that killed every other you know living sentient being, mm. and now was like starving to death on this world. And he was like a quarter of a million years old right and they end up pulling him the, his blood is the blood that made all vampires and the blood that made Strahd and they set him free the players set him free so now there's this 250,000 year old insane vampire and Strahd goes to the characters he's like you have no idea what you've done <laughs> like are you crazy like you thought I was bad you know this guy, and the first thing the guy does is he goes and he like murders all of the knights that are around the uh, uh, the the, the uh, I forget. There's like a castle, the, and it was the, had a bunch of the silver dragon in place, right? The silver dragon. Yeah. So I had a bunch of people, like living people, that also worshipped the knights of the silver dragon, um, and he basically just wiped out all those guys and was just eating them left and right. I got a lot of I got a lot from True Blood. You know, I was enjoying a lot of True Blood at the time, and um, yeah. So like you know, just I always love it when these when these adventures just go off the rails. You know, and and crazy, crazy stuff happens, and that's that's what we're getting to in our um, in our Storm King's Thunder game. Is we're just getting to the point where, like, I'm comfortable enough with the material that I can switch it back and forth and try try new things, you know, and and send it off into different ones. So, like, um, what's the name of the 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 dragon in Storm King's Thunder? Uh, God, I forget her name. But you know, you know say so you ask me these questions, and that these aren't the adventures I'm running right now. So, yeah, right. so uh, Imrith is her name. Okay, she's kind of a famous dragon, I guess. Oh, like, the blue like, one. Yeah, and uh, so uh, I was thinking and, about and, the red one that was uh, that, that oh, that's NPC in the middle. Yeah, so that yeah, so this is the fun bit, right? Is that Clouth to me is a really important NPC in my Wednesday game, and Imrith is really the villain. And so I'm always thinking through the eyes of Imrith, and like the big fun moment was. 
uh, one of the characters had picked up a wand that belonged to a descendant of, of Imr- uh, an, an ancestor of Imrith, and she could scry on it. So she's watching the party and like, huh, look at these guys. This is interesting. What are they up to? And she wants the chaos, of course, the, the chaos of the giants to keep going crazy. She's, she's really having a good time. Mm-hmm. But she's like, oh, watch these guys. Well, they, the, the guy who put who had the wand put on an amulet of uh, he knew that he was being scried on, but he knew he couldn't do anything about it. He's not about to give up a wand of lightning. So he put on a amulet of uh, protection from scrying, whatever it's called. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden she goes blind and she's like, oh, oh, so she goes right to him and she shows up at like the they were in the they were in that uh, the, the the eye of the all father. And that's when she shows up. And the reason she showed up <laughs> is because she's like, I got to put these guys out because now they're going to do stuff. And I don't know what it is. So to me, that was sort of the fun of, of, you know, watching it. I mean, that actually happens in the book, too. But in the book, it's sort of why it happens isn't really a big deal. How she even knows about the temple isn't really explained. So for me, like, that's that's sort of the fun bit. Now, like, what's Imerith doing now is my new my new starting question. Oh, and that's when, when like, Harshnag sacrifices himself yeah, to, to let ha- the PCs get yeah. away or whatever. Right. And that all happened, you know. And, and I'm, I'm changing that slightly as well. I won't say how. Um, but, you know. We'll, we'll the, hear about it next week on Behind the DM Screen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's, 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 uh, you know, lots of interesting things. And the other thing is, like, I, you know, I, I kind of want the players to visit multiple giant sites, you know, rather than just like go to one, get it. Like the horn, the horn is a key, is something I'm kind of removing from the whole thing. And I'm just yeah. saying, like, you know, that whole thing with the storm giants might still be there, but I don't know if the characters are even going to get involved in it. So, so we'll see. But yeah, it's kind of twisting these adventures around to fit the group and to fit like all, you know, what parts of it all of a sudden do I get excited about? Um, that's always the fun bit for me. And, and, and Curse of Strahd, like Death House is such a strong beginning. Um, I think Curse of Strahd is still my favorite, my favorite adventure of theirs. Um, yeah, I think that's the one I'm, I'm eager to get to next. You know, you, you know how you get like the midway point of a campaign and all of a sudden it's like, okay, what am I going to do next? You know, and suddenly you're really excited about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the cool bit in the in my Wednesday group is that they just discovered that uh, the cloud giant, um, Countess Sansuri, is digging up old artifacts that had been around from the, I think they call it the, the, the Thousand Year War. It was the war between dragons and giants. And, the giants. and so they have all these artifacts that their champions had used, their human, human humanoid champions had used. And she's kind of collecting all these artifacts. And some of the artifacts that she's collecting are in a place called White Plume Mountain. Oh, so, so we're gonna bring in uh, Yawning Portal. White Blue Mountain, sweet. You know. So yeah, we started. I started injecting. Like they, they're just, they're just over, uh, and and um, they're just over a place called uh, Castle Mercos, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, the castle that's named on the White Blue Mountain map, but doesn't seem to have anything tied to it. And I, of course, am stealing a fantastic location to to use as Castle Mercos. And yeah, so it's kind of neat because like. The cloud giant city is floating above it, and they have excavators that are excavating this old, ruined, haunted castle where an old king had, you know, murdered and devoured his subjects. Mm-hmm. Kind of neat. Very good. And I have all kinds of questions, but I, I that's really more behind the name screen stuff. So I'll, I'll save <laughs> it for that. Uh, so so let's let's go more general now. Uh, we talked about sort of your campaign and how, how you tweak things and change things or whatever. Uh, and like you said, you know, if people want to hear that in more detail, you've talked about it at length. Well documented. Yeah. Um, but, and, and if not just on Behind the Name screen, uh, also on Sly Flourish, you write about these kinds of things fairly regularly. Yeah. I usually don't write about my own campaigns. I usually find things in my campaigns that I've discovered that have been useful to me and then try to write a more general article about right. about it so it's for other people. But it's all sort of there. You can follow the thread if you're paying attention to Mike Shea. Right. Yeah, probably. 
so, so, but generally speaking, uh, what is one? You give a lot of advice. So, what is mm. one bit of advice that you would give to the gaming community as a whole? Advice is bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that, that's actually my new favorite piece of advice that I give overall. And the reason why is that we're all, uh, am I allowed to swear, by the way? I mean, sure. Sure. <laughs> you uh, already did, so. Too, yeah, sorry. Um, so we're all different people, right? And we all play, we all have different backgrounds. We all have different groups. We all have sort of different approaches. We all have things that we, that we like. We all have different experiences. We all have different circumstances. So for any one person to kind of say that any other person should do a thing a certain way, you know, I mean, we're, you know, there's so many variables that are outside of our control with any of that, that it's really, you know, I, I'm, you know, like I, I'm almost just trying to remove the idea of you should, you know, the quote unquote, you should mm -hmm. from any conversation I have, because we don't know what positions we're in. You know, we could be sitting in a meeting and we're looking at a guy and he's grumpy and it's maybe because his, because his wife is sick and he's worried about it. You know, we don't know what the hell people's circumstances are. Mm -hmm. And, and advice, so advice overall. And, and, and then I go, I'll go back to the other thing. I read the, a, a really interesting book. It's kind of a hard read. Um, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, Daniel Kahneman is a, uh, him and Amos Traversky are two, uh, Israeli researchers that invented, um, what a, uh, God, what's the name of the discipline? It's essentially a mixture of psychology and um, economics. And they discovered that, like, um, you know, there's no rationality. The, the rational model, the rational actor model for economics totally mm -hmm. doesn't work. Because and nobody's rational. No one's rational. And, and it doesn't matter. So it's like you're, you're you know, they, they proved not only how we're irrational. They not only proved that we're irrational, but how and systematically how. For example, when we lose something, it's twice as bad as if we gain something. So losing $20 feels as bad as gaining 10 or losing $10 feels as good as gaining 20. Right. Right. And they could, they could do like a ton of science to, to show this. And so one of, one of the things that they discovered is that, and this is a real interesting dichotomy that people who, um, that, that luck has a way bigger factor in people's lives than we account for. We think we have much greater control over our lives than we do. And then the, the, the rough part is the people who think that they have better control over their, over their lives generally do better. So you're better off lying to yourself, thinking you have more control, because you actually will slightly improve your, your, your you know, could, could slightly improve your station than to say, like, well, it's all, you know, random luck in the first place. Um, you know, so this, this kind of ties back to the whole advice thing, because we just don't know what, what's going on. And, and, you know, when we think about a game like D&D, &D, where luck is a huge factor, not just dice rolling and, and odds and everything like that, although that's certainly one of the reasons we like it, but because... You know what players we have at our table and what kind of games we enjoy, or, or all this stuff, mm -hmm. and what's going on in their lives at this moment, and yeah, yeah, just you know all this stuff. So you know, yeah, and I know, like, yeah, it 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 doesn't it doesn't you know I don't I don't I don't lose sight of the fact that my 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 the book that has sold the most is the Lazy Dungeon Master, which is essentially a book about advice. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the things that that I was pretty careful of when I wrote it is to say like this is just some thoughts. Like these are ideas, right? Mm -hmm. It's not telling you you need to start being a lazy DM. You need to stop, you know, use spending four hours writing your big campaign world. You know, you need to, you know, just write a three by five card and then your game is better. I, I specifically did not say that. What I said was, here's an approach towards D and D that can work, and and you know, and, and from my. Uh, from from people that I've talked to, it has worked for some people, and mm -hmm. I imagine there's a lot of people it doesn't work for. And sometimes it works for me. Most of the time it works for me, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll refine and, and work on it. So I, I like to think of this whole thing as like sharing experiences. To me, sharing experiences is much more valuable than giving advice. 
and and then sort of sharing refined experiences like writing a book like Lazy Dungeon Master, um, I think is is one where you can go ah so this is a different approach that that you know a different approach that we've taken, and and that's an interesting way and maybe I'll just take that one thing like maybe I'll just maybe somebody just says I don't like any of the rest of it but I like that idea of writing ten secrets down you know or I like that idea of of starting first and foremost with um you know where does where's my game going to begin mm-hmm. you know these are these are things that maybe. Uh, people, uh, uh, you know, will like and and yeah. So so I don't know. I think a lot of good advice books uh, where they can have good advice. A lot of times people just pick one thing that they like. Well, and and I think that's I think what's what's coming out of that a little bit is is that advice is BS because you have a fairly narrow definition of advice. I also happen to know that you write advice a lot. And you you enjoy self help books a lot, you know, and that yes. kind of stuff, right? Well, I enjoy so, them, but I, I recognize that they're bullshit. <laughs> well, right, right, but but I think what's what the trick is, and I don't know that at least in my mind that advice necessarily has to be telling you what you should do, um, you know, because I I think what you do is advice, but it's not telling people what they should do, right? So it's not about what you should do, but it's about here's here's a list of possible things you could do. You know, take your inspiration where you will. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree that like you know the the narrow focus, but I, but I know a lot of people who say you should do X. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and um, and what's what's interesting is it, it's also like we we tend it, it tends to be selfish when we're talking about ourselves, but in many times when we're talking about ourselves in the context of someone else's problem, we're actually giving them good, good, good information. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I don't know how you should run your Curse of Strahd game, but here's things that work well in mine, you right. know, and, 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 and I guess, you know, rather than saying, oh, you should definitely have Strahd, you know, become a quest NPC and have that lich be tough. Well, no, but maybe you should latch onto the things that you love about this adventure and, and let those go crazy, right. you know, and, and, and let it go off the rails. I can also tell you that, uh, the, the three by five card and, uh, of, of the lazy dungeon master d- uh, did not function very well for me, uh, right. at least in the long yep. term. So, so you know, there's at least one person who who doesn't. Yeah, right. Doesn't right. Doesn't I'm way. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. There's, well, there's... although although I'll say, I I tried it for several sessions, and yeah. what I did is I took the lessons that I learned from going through that experience, and I internalized them and put and and built them into my own process. So I yeah, so what... I, I use a lot of lazy dungeon mastering sort of philosophy uh, right. without actually following the the same steps that you do. Right. Right. What do you do now? So now I have a, a one-page um, um, session breakdown um, of what's you know. So I, I've got you know, we've talked about it behind the DM screen, right? I've got I've got a mashup of four different adventures basically going right. on, right. and so for every session I have a little breakdown of okay, here's my intro hook to to start things off going quickly, and then here's um, a, a row for each adventure. And sort of a, a little blurb about how how is each one going to at least make an appearance in this session, and right. sometimes some of them are like the you know we're in the middle of this big about out of the, out of the abyss section, and so the rest of it's just uh, uh, little reminders. Oh, don't forget this other stuff is going on too, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it makes it all sort of flow together. It makes it all feel like it's a cohesive world. And then I and then for each row, then for each one, I'll, I'll have that blurb, and then I'll have you know, and here's some NPCs related to that, and here's some locations where you could do stuff there, and here's some monsters in case you need an encounter. Right, uh, and right. then I and then I, you know, I, I followed the lazy dungeon master of okay. Now I've got some some highlights. I'll throw it together as as we go, and and just trust that the story will do its thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I think I think like the key. So so you know, lazy dungeon master kind of had one key idea, which was the less you prepare, it, it, there's a there could there could potentially be a 
um, uh, a connection in in that the less you prepare, the, the not only will it save you time, but your game might actually run better. Mm. That there's a you know it's sort of counterintuitive that right. um, um, that that the more you prepare, the better your game is. Um, that that's not necessarily true. Um, and the other one, but you know the big one is you one one I feel like one should prepare as much as one needs to to feel like they're ready to go. Right. You know that, and that that could be very different for different people. I know some people they don't do anything; they're just they're ready to go the minute they sit down at the table. So I, I usually need to write at least the the, the three by five card. You know, I actually write in a little notebook, but you know, I usually have to do like two pages in that notebook of where's it going to start, what are some of the main scenes mm-hmm. that are going to take place, and then um, I, I really like my secrets idea. What are the ten? What are ten secrets and clues mm-hmm. that they might discover while they while they go? And then usually I can wing the rest. Yeah. Well, see, I kind of combined some of, the, of your philosophy from Lazy, Lazy Dungeon Master and uh, uh, Dave Chalker's, what is it, three, five by five or yeah, three by three or whatever? Five by five. Yeah, 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 right, right. So I kind of combined some of those ideas and said, yeah, this yeah. works for me. Yeah, so the anyway. other big difference is I run short games, and I think you run real long ones, right? I run, I, I only run every other week, one, one game every other week, but we run about six hours, yeah. Yeah, right, right. So your games are almost two to three times mine. So you got to have more, right? Like I, more. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get away with five bullets. Yeah. You know, five five sentences on a piece of paper, and that's going to hold you for, you know, seven hours. Right. Yeah. All right. So so that's your advice for the gaming community: is don't pay too much attention to it to uh, to advice. <laughs> Instead, right. look for uh, look for inspiration in people's stories. Sure. Okay. <laughs> that's what I got out of it. So. Um, so, so let's talk about what you're up to lately then you, you've written a bunch of books and now you have some new stuff going on. Uh, what, what is all that? I do. So, um, last year I did a Kickstarter for a book called Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations. It was a book of 20 locations that did not have any pre-built in story or hooks or monsters or, or anything like that. They were, they were intended you know, they were intended to be uh, uh, sort of a toolkit for a lazy dungeon master. I need a place. I need it right now. I want to have some some good read aloud text. I want to have some nice art, and and not. But but I've got my own story, and I want to bring my own story to it. And 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 you know, so that that book came out. Um, uh, it it did very well. I was very pleased with how well it did. And uh, it's not. It was it was shipped by the end of the year. Everybody got it. I think it's a beautiful book. And um, I was looking at it and and. Just you know, kind of saying like, what would what would what if we went one level deeper? There there seems to be it feels like there's a need for short focused uh, adventures for fifth edition for the fifth edition of D and D um, that are um, you know quick like quick to read you know like built built in that lazy DM style, um, but still had all the art and maps and everything else. And and how could I tie them into the locations that I had in fantastic locations? So I put together a I wrote a draft over the you know pretty much from the minute. Fantastic locations was underway and like, you know, editing's going on and art is, I'm waiting, you know, art's coming back and everything else. Uh, I started writing this other one. I had this idea, like, I think I'm going to go do this next. And so I've been starting out, been writing it since last year. And um, I had a draft ready to go and I, you know, put together a thing. And, and so now there's a new Kickstarter for this one called Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures, uh, which is 10, 10 short adventures for, for the fifth edition, for our fifth edition of our favorite role playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can say D and D. So yeah, um, everybody just everybody keeps it vague, but yeah. I know, I know. I, um, so the Kickstarter's running right now. It's got 26 days to go as of this recording. It is fully funded. It is it's uh, double yeah, funded. Yeah, it's crashing through stretch goals left and right, um, mm-hmm. and and it's good because the stretch goal we just so there's one more stretch goal 
to go where I will feel like it's going to be the best book that I had intended it to be. And that's the color maps. Once mm. we can do color maps. So right now we have art. We're going to have artwork for every adventure. We're going to have maps for every adventure. Um, now, some of the artists that are doing the maps are, don't work in color. They, they, they work exclusively in black and white. So some of the maps will be black and white, even, even if we hit the color one. Uh, but many of the artists who are doing the maps work in color, and that will certainly be better in color. And I expect that we'll be able to meet that. Mm. Um, it's going to have an art book the same way that Fantastic Locations did so that you have this uh, staple bound book of all of the art so you could use as a show them for, you know, at the game table. And or just an extra PDF for those of us who are back to the PDF level. Yeah, it's back at the PDF, but you can still use it, right? You can still pull it up in your iPad or Absolutely. whatever and show it to your player while you're playing. That's the intent. And, um, yeah, so it's it's very exciting. I'm 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 really happy with where I'm. I'm very happy that people care enough to back it. Right. Every time we do this, fantastic locations in particular is like, oh, does anybody even want this? Like, who the hell wants, you know, <laughs> who the hell wants adventures without adventures? Right. Like, who's gonna want places that don't have anything there? But you know, well, it has lots of stuff there. It's just you know, not not people and 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 no, no story. story. Yeah, and and again, I was kind of going with, well, I like it, you know, like it, it helps me. I use it all the time, you know. I'm I'm I, I'm using one of the many things in my uh, my own campaign because, you know, it's handy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and Fantastic Adventures, I kind of see the same way. I wanted to. They're all uh, uh, aimed at at basically second. They're, they're they're aimed at like second to fifth level. Um, you could kind of do it at first, but you're going to be really hard on those poor first level characters. Um, and and the intent is to you know you could just pick it up and play you know if you if you got a group coming over you could probably run them in a couple of hours and if you want to go a little longer you could certainly extend them out to four and you could probably make them even bigger if you start to throw the fantastic location stuff in there hmm. um, and the design of them is different the design is not a ten thousand word adventure with a with a ton of narrative and a big story and you know this whole big background and you know all that it's it's really like here's a paragraph that tells you what's going on here's the important NPCs here's where the game starts. Here are a bunch of secrets and clues that they'll discover, and then here are all of the like major scene locations that that they could that they could run into, and then what happens at the end, and then you know how how do you, how can you tie how can you convert it into your own, uh, you know how you can twist it into to, to fit your own campaign and how you can tie it to a fantastic location. Mm -hmm. uh, so the design is is similar to fantastic locations that I don't assume that you're going to give a crap about my campaign world. Mm -hmm. So. I, designing this specifically so you can drop it into yours mm -hmm. right that this be you know th these can be just as comfortable in the forgotten realms as they can be in midgard or anybody anywhere else and um or you know, more to the point they can fit into somebody's unpublished campaign world right Let, like your homebrew i mean going back to the dm the dm survey i ran early in the year 60 percent of dms according to my survey the, the 6600 dms that i surveyed six, 60 percent of them run their own campaign world they don't run they don't run published campaign worlds and, you know, so why do we keep trying to give them new campaign worlds? I mean, I love these campaign worlds. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to bash people that are making campaign worlds. But, you know, it's, it's to me, I wanted to make a product that fits into the way people are playing it. And people tend to play their own. So here are some adventures you can throw into your own. And, like, just change the NPCs out and add in the NPCs that are important to the characters. And now, now it's tied very closely to what they do. So, um, yeah, so... I have to say that this is a book that you have been, you have been rolling around in your head since i think as long as i've known you yeah i, you I mean know, I, I, th I feel like you've been talking about the need for just short little drop-in adventure uh, book you know you you ranted and raved about about uh the fourth edition uh was it dungeon delves yeah they were so good you know i, I, feel, I feel like this is you just saying you know what we still need this stuff and so now you're just, yeah. you're just doing it yourself 
Yeah, right. And and I yeah, I have to I have to go back and look. I I, I it didn't even it didn't even occur to me. Like I didn't even think about that, but you're right. And and one of them is I think on critical hits I wrote an article about modular modules, like the need mm. for modular modules. And and the idea that like why why do we buy these modules and they have this incredibly deep story arc that goes through it like we're reading a novel and and then we, you know, try to run it and it's either, you know, we either throw 80% of it away and go our own way. Or we're, you know, running this railroaded adventure that somebody else wrote. And, you know, being overly harsh, of course, right? Like, sure. you know, says the guy who just played all of the hardback adventures. That right. <laughs> um, but it, I do feel like, you know, w- you know, what if somebody built, you're right. Like, what if somebody built, you know, truly modular modules where you can pull in and, you know, pull in parts and, and pull out parts and take what you like. And, and Fantastic Locations, I really had that in mind where... Like I, you know, I said like, look, I don't care if all you ever do is look at the artwork and come up with your own stuff. Like you don't have to read a single word, you know. But if you do read a single word, then then maybe it's only the aspects that you like. You don't want, you know, you hate you hate read aloud text, so ignore the read aloud text and just look at the aspects. And um, and this this is very similar. This one's a little deeper because it does have characters and it does have a storyline and it does have it does sort of have things that are going on, um, rather than just places. Uh, but it's still built on that idea where, like, any of these characters, pull them out and put in your own, you know, or any, you know, if you want to fill in, if you want to move this anywhere you want to move it, go, you know, go with God. So, yeah, that's the intent. And and, and I, I I do think that there is a uh, a desire. I don't know how many people have it. And we'll, we'll, anyway, so far, it seems pretty good. 300 and some, 360 yeah, right now that, that want shorter. I'm hoping unless they just click back, you know, didn't actually look at it. Um that want short adventures, that want 2,000-word adventures. Um, and there's two inspirations I had for this. And one of them was um, Monty Cook for Numenera did a book called Weird Discoveries. And Weird Discoveries is 10 short adventures for Numenera that have a very unique style uh, that are designed so that you can sit down at a game convention and pull it out and run one of them. Hmm. Uh, and I loved that idea, and I loved a lot of the design, the design ideas that he had in that book. You just um, want to walk into Gen Con and see a bunch of people pl- running your game. Yeah, honestly, I don't really expect that. <laughs> like, the truth is, people are either running their own games or they're or they're running like, especially at a convention, they're running a bunch of convention games. So I don't, I don't really. Expect- yeah, they, got a, they got a whole book now of of, of ten uh, convention game adventures from Mike Shea. Who's not? There's gonna be there's gonna be a whole room full of people pl- playing this adventure. Made them legal. You know, that'd be great. And then I could do is fill them with Vorpal swords, and then players would want to play it all day long. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't expect that that's the case. Um, but they, I, I will tell you that, you know, and then this is a, probably a little bit boastful, um, but I think we're going to meet it, that the adventures that are in this are going to be, they're going to look and, and feel as good as any published adventures you've played. Um, I mean, they're going through professional editing by editor, you know, Scott Fitzgerald Gray is doing the editing. He's the editor for a lot of D and D stuff. I've worked with him for a long time. He and I have done adventures together for wizards of the coast. Uh, the art is all art from, from people that have worked on places like shadows of the demon Lord and, mm. and D and D or other, you know, other things. Um, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a great book. It's going to be better than a, a word document converted over to, to text. And you what know, are you going to do when you blow out your top stretch goal? the swim in money i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know that i'm gonna go play so so i I have one any chance we'll get 15 adventures so uh no because that would kill me um (laughs) yeah so i did that with fantastic locations but i knew ahead of time that i was gonna you know i mean this is a cheat right i say 15 and i say oh but if we do well it's gonna be 20 guess what i already had you already had 20 yeah (laughs) 
the, the problem, and, and this gets kind of into interesting Kickstarter economics, is that as soon as you increase, like that was a 25% increase in costs of the book overall. Mm-hmm. Art, editing, layout, design, everything went up when you add more stuff. Where like adding extra art means only the art has to get added, right? Um, and, and yeah, I just, you know, like 10, 10 to me felt right and, and I didn't have... Like 15, it would be a bigger book. Like this is the weird thing about Fantastic Locations is that I had to price it kind of high, assuming that it was going to have 20. But then that makes it not look as good when it's only 15. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's easier to say, like, I know it's going to be 10 and it's only going to be 10. And the question is, how good are those 10 going to be? Mm. Right? That, that works out better. So I do have one stealth stretch goal that I haven't um, that I haven't put in place yet. I will tell you since uh, uh, I would give you the exclusive. Oh, sweet. Um, Cecil, Cecil Howe uh, is an artist that does uh, cartography uh, and has done a bunch of cartography for Shadows of the Demon Lord. And um, I love his stuff there. And I, he does it in a very sort of, you know, in, in the style of the kind of thing you would see. So like maps drawn on human skin and like, mm-hmm. you know, weird. The style of the map is sort of based on the, the maps sort of thing. And uh, I think if we cross 11,000, um, then we will add a full page map uh, of the that ties all of these adventures together into one sort of you know area. Think like Deserin Valley, you know, it'll be mm. or, or, or Nentir Vale. It'll so be sort, sort of, of sort like of a little map that has the different fantastic locations yeah. and these adventures sort of sprinkled in them. And with the intent that, like, I, again, like I want people to be able to put these wherever they want. But if somebody did want to tie them all together, mm-hmm. here's a map that ties them all together, right? Or if they just like, hey, I'm running a quick game and I really need just a, so it's not a campaign. Don't get me wrong, I'm not right. running a campaign. But you know, it's just like, well, where the hell's that mine? Or where, the, where are those mountains or that swamp? I could put that all on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other ones, he's going to do a um, a map of the town. So there's a one thing I did is I didn't want to have to write like a separate town for every one of these places. So I have one town called White Sparrow and White Sparrow's got some interesting stuff going on in it. Mm. Um, its intent is a you can if you need a fantasy town that's got some interesting stuff going on. Here's this town like it's got a huge, you know, sort of black stone hand that's reaching out of the center of the town and nobody knows what the hell it's about and what's going on there. But it's enormous. It's like 30, 40 feet high. Um, there's a inn that's built on hot springs. So everybody has warm baths all the time. Um, and then there's a castle up on the hill and the castle's got like this, you know, noble fop who, who thinks he runs the town, but he doesn't really, the sheriff runs the town. So there's all these sort of, and he's got this like ancient crypts that are beneath his castle that he doesn't know anything about. Um, so the idea is if you want a town, here's the town. If you don't want a town, throw this town away, put whatever town you want in. Um, you know, but the town, it would be really great if the town had a map just so you, know, you could use <laughs> Sure. So Cecil still has agreed just today that um, that he's willing to to do the map for that. I don't uh, so if cross eleven thousand, that will be the. So that's that's, that's uh, one in between ten and, and twelve. Then you'll. It's my it's my twelve. I don't even remember my stretch goals. What's twelve? You, you got oh 10, yeah, pre-gens. twelve yeah. is your pregens. Twelve is the pregens, and and these obviously these are spaced out, right? Like it doesn't cost me two thousand dollars to make right. pregens. Um, but I got to get paid somewhere and the, the manufacturing, you know, the, the, the cost to put all this together kind of is spread out throughout. Well, and like you said, you, you know, you had one stretch goal that, that even though it was, it was a relatively, uh, incremental increase, you know, in uh, fantastic locations, it was a 25% increase in cost. Yeah, so, right. so those so things that, happen too. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice, so, okay, here's, here's the great thing about it is that fantastic locations more than funded itself, right? Like it was, sure. it was, it was well done. So, I mean, it was well, it was very well funded. And so, and this one is too, right? For, for me, you know, the money that I've got now, 
uh, will will pay for everything that I've talked about putting into it. And I've already like as soon as I crossed over the goals, I started commissioning artists, and that's why I'm like putting art up on the site that I'm already getting back. Like Jack Kaiser's awesome, and he's already sending me new art, um, and I'm and I'm putting it I'm putting it up. So um, yeah, so I think it'll be great. But yeah, I, you know, eleven I think eleven thousand is where the next uh, is where that where that ne- that that, that, that next one is going. And hopefully we make it. Yeah, people should check it out. I mean, what is it? Fifteen dollars, and you get everything for yep. everything that, that that you get for PDF and, and done. Yep. Yep. You know? yep, including the art book. So you'll get the, uh, the the main PDF and the art book for fifteen bucks in, in PDF. And um, yep, and then there's the the print options as well, uh, where you get you basically get the uh, ability to buy it print on demand at cost from RPG Now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, which, it's one of the things I've always liked about your Kickstarters, right? Is the, is that you you price things reasonably, like it's not undercut but it's also not like super expensive and then there's only like four options and and it goes you know 15 to 35 dollars you're not going to go crazy with it you're, yeah. not gonna, you're not asking people for you know shoot the moon Does somebody want to give me a thousand dollars or whatever yeah. Sort of, yeah, yeah i've had people like hey where's our play a game with sly flourish at gen con for a thousand dollars and i'm like hey if you want to pay a thousand dollars to play a game with me you are way overpricing that, that <laughs> i mean <laughs> i'm good but it's settled down yeah, <laughs> not, that, not that good and and also the logistics of that is just a, from what I heard is just a royal pain in the ass. Oh. You know, for people that I know that have done it, they're like getting you know like you owe them that game, and it's like well <laughs> they can't get scheduling and everything else, and you're like well now what? And honestly, if somebody w- emailed me and said, "Hey, I'm a fan of the show. Will you run a game for me at Gen Con? I'll probably do it for free." <laughs> so you know, I just want to hang out with yeah. fans and play that's games. Fine. <laughs> I'd charge someone to play a game with me. Um, so I, and I don't, and, and also are people even going to back it and how much are you really getting? Like, right. you know, I'm not getting as much as if I just had four people buy the thing. Right. Um, yeah, the one, the one tricky bit, um, because I do it print on demand and, and the, the reason I do that is, um, to ensure you can actually, this is another weird Kickstarter thing. If you, if you have like a PDF version of something and you have a print version of something, and you, depending on how you price those, if you price it so that the print version, you, you kind of have to price the print version to ensure that it's generating as much money as the PDF is because oh, yeah. you need the money to actually make the product. Right. So, uh, it, uh, you know, it, it's definitely, you can actually go bankrupt uh, if you get too many print versions of something and not enough PDFs of something. But the way I'm doing it where you, you, you basically get the ability to buy it at cost means that you know that's not a problem like you, you know the 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 the, the backer is hmm. you know, buy, you know is, is paying the print costs um and that means that i don't have to i, I mean say hey, i can price them like 35 bucks for for the option to buy four different books in print hmm. is low but now the other tricky bit is you know and i, I did the math i kind of worked it all out and it's like you know it'll still cost like you know 75 dollars to back it and to get all of the books hmm. in print so it's not you know not there's nothing. no free money yeah, right. There's no free money, in it. but I can't tell you that like the forty-three bucks that it costs to get all the books in print and ship, a they're going to be beautiful books, but the this the, the b I don't make anything from that. Right. You know, like like you know the the, the thirty-five bucks is what I'm is what I'm making. Right. Well, and and it's it's even that there's a Kickstarter cut. It, it's actually worth noting that that as much as I said to you, there's only four options. There's really two options for fantastic adventures and then the other two options are if you also want to you know pick pick up the product from the last kickstarter from last year right (laughs) 
Yeah, and um, that's that that's actually where the price like the price for the print on demand stuff got a little out of hand. It's like it didn't even sure. occur to me like, oh yeah, they're gonna have to buy four paper books if they want them all. Right. And that's that's not cheap. So well, but the good news I, I wrote a I wrote a big update saying like here, please read this and I highlighted the important parts so that there's no hidden costs. Right. And and people came back and said the nice thing is we just buy which books we want. You know, right. it's sort of like backer kit where you're like you're only selecting the ones you wanted. Like I don't really want the art books in print. I just want fantastic locations or fantastic sure. adventures in print. The other ones are happy in PDF. Great. And that's all I have to buy. Well, and, and I mean, using that system, you currently have as many people on your top top end uh, pledge level as you do at the bottom end. Yeah. There's a hundred, there's a hundred, okay. literally a hundred and three right now, exactly uh, for $35 and a hundred and three at $15. I do. I do worry that some of those people that back that are expecting that they're going to be getting four books showing up at their door for thirty-five bucks. I can almost guarantee that at least a few of those. Some of them might. I mean, but you're doing what you can. Like you're, you're know, trying to be. I mean, you're I, trying I to be real up front. I, I I say it in like three different places. <laughs> so right. and you send out the updates. And yeah, I mean. I know, I know. Like I had friends of mine after Fantastic Locations came out who said, "Aren't don't I get a book? Like where's the book?" And I'm like, "Did you order it? Like what do you mean you have to order it?" No, I go, "Read the update." Yeah. You know? So yeah, 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 yeah. It's tricky. I wish it were better. I wish I wish there were an easier way to to do all that. Yeah. Well, and that's one of those things where where I'm, if I had a book open in front of me, that would be cool. But I'm I'm happy enough. Just I, I play with my iPad at like, the table anyway, so yeah. I can do it that yeah, way yeah. and be. Just yeah, I've, I've I tried real hard to say I'm not going to buy any more physical books. Uh-huh. And I'm going to buy the PDF. And then like Midgard comes out. I'm like, oh, I got to have the physical book of that. Like, I mean, nah, okay. See, I, I, I stayed strong. I just got the PDF of that. I just, I just got the PDF of Toma Beast. Yeah. So you don't have Toma Beast in hard, hardback. Nope. Nope. Just the just the PDF, which is great because it's searchable and I can, you know, it's all linked. Right. And- I have both. And, and I tend to, you know, I, but I, I actually do. So at my game, I tend to run with physical books. So if I'm going to use it at the table, I tend to get the physical book. Yeah. But boy, I'm tired of carrying all those books around. I hear you. All right, one, one more question before we get into the lightning round. We're already yeah. over an hour now. So right. uh, if you could be a long do, lightning round. Well, that's fine. If you could do one thing to make the world a better place through gaming, what would you want to do? Oh, man. I'm so glad that's not a lightning round question. No. Um, I would really just love to see more people playing D&D. Is that a cop-out answer? Like – you know, I, I think there's so many, like I've seen so many people that play it at all different walks of life and I'd love to see it in community centers and I'd love to see more. Yeah. So I, I guess the one thing I would love to do to help people is I really wish there was like a great online website where people could, could start and find games really easily, local games, you know, oh, like, and, like to, you know, uh, you know, cause everybody's using meetup or pen and paper. You yeah. Know, everybody's everywhere trying to find games. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there's a, there's a hard part, which is like, you don't know that you want to just sit down with everybody and play. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're a little apprehensive. Maybe we're more apprehensive than we need to be. You know, like, I don't know how many times we actually go into a game and it's dangerous versus well, going but it, into a game and we just don't like the people that are there. It also depends on your situation. Like, uh, I spent years trying to find uh, a new player or two for my, for my group, right? right? Uh, and, and the situation is such that we play in my house with my children around, so I just don't want to invite any random stranger over. Right. So, you know, I, I get some of that. If, you know, if you're just playing at a game, uh, at a game store, then, then go, and if it doesn't work out, then... Yeah, so it's right, and and to me that that works really like the more more you know I wish there were more places to play, yeah, uh, community centers and things like that, and 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 more op- that were were open for for that kind of play. And maybe they are, and I don't even know. And I would just like to have a, a better way for for people to kind of connect with each other, mm-hmm. 
and play it. Like I want it to be as easy as Pokemon Go. Like we met so many people just walking around the park playing Pokemon Go. I want D and D games to be like that. There you, go. you know, you want to play D and D. You pick up your phone and it just starts aiming you towards a D and D game. And then like you, you know, you walk <laughs> next one. Okay. So that would be one. Uh, I, I think that D&D could make it easier for people to be able to jump into a game partway through. Mm. I, thir- I certainly think the Adventures League could do a better job at this. Mm-hmm. Like the Adventures League, you know, is getting to the point where so many people that have played for a long time want to play at five, the fifth level or tenth level. But the only way to get there is to get through first and then the people can't play. And that's been a problem with Adventures League and, and the organized play programs for a long time. Is that it's, it's, it, it feels like it's hard for new players to really just jump in and play. Um, so I, I would like that to be easier. There you go. All right, so before we get into the lightning round, I want to remind people that if you want to support the show, you can always do so by shopping on Amazon or the DMs Guild from the links at thetomeshow.com. You can also be a patron over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow, where you will get early peeks into what we're doing and get a chance to answer questions now and then that help us decide what to discuss and what we're going to do in upcoming episodes. Uh, You can join the ranks of the patrons such as Doug Palmer, Mark, or Stephen Robert, they, uh, they contribute anywhere from a dollar a month to a generous $5 a month. Uh, and, and I want to say thanks to those guys and all the other patrons for their support. And now we're going to talk about the lightning round. All right. You are going to answer 20 questions as quickly as, you, as quickly as you can in an effort to both provide satisfying answers and to beat the current record holder. This that, is so stressful. I know. That record holder is Margaret Weiss and Robert Krames, and, and they, they had the advantage of there were two of them. Um, <laughs> uh, and and uh, they beat out Rodney Thompson. Uh, so the current record is five minutes and 41 seconds for all 20 questions. Wow. Okay. Uh, some of these will be easy for you, and some of them uh, are going to you know, flex your creative muscle. Show us your, your design skills. You ready? Sure. Take a breath. I'm good. Center yourself, okay? Hang on, let me sit up in my chair. Quick. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm starting to slump a little. Okay. All right. All right, I'm good. I want you to have your game face on. All right, ready? Go. So the first question, number one, do you prefer to DM or play? DM. Two, what, is your, what was your first RPG? GURPS. Three, name the person who introduced you to RPGs. I don't know. You don't know? Who was? Uh, four... Create the title of a book that's on a mad wizard's shelf. Olvanio's Awesome Elixirs. Mm. Uh, Five, name a game or adventure that you haven't played but want to. Rifts. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about that earlier. Uh, Six, the last game product you bought? Storm, uh, uh, Yawning Portal. Yawning Portal, Okay. Seven, make up an NPC's name. Can I, I'm going to use my random name generator. <laughs> oh, but I'm being so slow. Yeah, you are. Go, but do it. <laughs> oh, oh. Halia Jewel Singer. Halia Jewel Singer. All right. So eight, uh, name the, the name of a PC that you have played. Uh, Rogan Ravenwood. Who's Rogan Ra- Ravenwood? He was my ranger that I played when I was doing the DMPC. He was in love with my other character who was in Oh, it was your DM PC. I see. Yeah. <laughs> so not even a real PC. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, I couldn't even name the ones I've got now. Oh, uh, uh, Argon Dusty Boots is a good one. That's my current, my current player character. Is that your Adventures League uh, character? Yeah, it's my, my war cleric. Right on. Uh, nine, favorite house role? Uh, oh, man. Um, Moon Druids can eat one. 
<laughs> Explain that. <laughs> uh, damage rolls over when you polymorph as a moon druid. Damage. So, so damage rolls over. So if you're in, uh, if you're a moon druid and you're oh. in a form, and then you take twenty points of damage or fifty points of damage, and then you shift back to your human form, you've taken that fifty damage. You don't. It doesn't heal. Oh, so not just the 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 XS rolls over, but the whole thing rolls over. Right. I, that was a house rule. I have since gotten rid of it um, because people don't like it. And and uh, yeah, okay. so there. But that would be my favorite house rule. There you go. Ten. How long are your game sessions? Uh, two to three hours. Eleven. Give us the name of a fantasy tavern. Um, the monster casters. The monster casters. Okay. Twelve. Uh, a source of inspiration that has influenced your game. Oh, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Okay, how does that influence your game? Uh, I love the sort of gang characters that they have in there, and I use them for NPCs all the time. So the Seven Swords, uh, the or no, the Seven Snakes in uh, Storm King's Thunder, I based off of the characters from Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. and they have so much richer depth than they would otherwise. Okay, I know. Uh, I I watched Breaking Bad on on your uh, your. Uh, yeah. Advice on on that very uh, for that yeah, very how reason. Good, how good is Gustavo as a villain? Oh yeah, well, and that last season was crazy. But anyway, uh, twelve. No, that was twelve. Uh, Thirteen. Best race class combination. Uh oh man. Um, I'll go. I'll go with dwarven fighter. All right. Fourteen. Best alignment. Chaotic neutral. You get to do everything and not <laughs> go to jail. There you go. I don't know if that if, if being character neutral changes how the law interacts with you, but okay. <laughs> Fifteen experience points or automatic leveling. Automatic leveling. Sixteen. Lazy. Sixteen. The best way to determine stats. Uh, point by. Point by. Okay. Seventeen. Uh, make up an elven curse. Can I can I change my last answer? I want to yes. go with default default uh, the default array. The default array. Okay. Yeah. Now now seventeen. Make up an elven curse. Oh. Uh, you you dirt heart, you dirt heart. Okay, uh, eighteen. The the your favorite game book. Oh man, um, I gotta go with uh, fifth edition monster manual. Okay, uh, nineteen. Should there be devices at the table? Sure. Should okay. there be, or should, there should be? we allow them? Should there be? Yeah, I, I use it for music. So at the very least, I should use it for that. Okay, uh, and twenty. Tell us a story from your game table. I've been telling stories all night. Um, <laughs> Tell us a new one. Oh, man. Killing me. Uh, uh, so one time, uh, I, I very much like to have characters, uh, players describe uh, interesting characteristics of monsters. And one time they were fighting some trolls and they were they – were, uh, I asked characters like, you know, I asked the players like, okay, describe an interesting character to that troll. And one of the characters says, handbag. That troll's name is handbag. And handbag the troll became the newest, uh, uh, it became like the newest NPC villain. <laughs> handbag the troll. Did handbag the troll have a handbag? No, he just, he was like, he could be made out of a handbag. He's you know, you made out of, out of, you could, you could make, you a, could make handbag a handbag out of him. I see. And it would never tear. It would always be... No, it always repair itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. We will it's stop it there. Stuff. And, and you're the new winner. Yay! No way. Are you F- kidding me? Five minutes and 15 seconds. You beat, uh, you beat Margaret Weiss by like 30 seconds. Oh, my God. No, a little less than 30 seconds, but still. Wow. Even even with all my uh, my I know all my and... all my nonsense and looking up random names. I'll tell you, this <laughs> random name generator just saved me on three of those questions. 
Gerthard, <laughs> Monster Caster. I pulled that right off of this. Hey, no, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you pulled it up on that one question, huh? Yeah, I tell you, my monster, this this random name generator I've got generates 100 random names, and they're all like, you know. Is that a, a, a website you use or something you created? Something I created. It's on Sly Flourish. Um, of course it and is. And it's a little job, of the course. And it's a little, it's under, if you go to start here and go to tools, it's under there. Um, but it just takes like words and mixes them together. So it's got first names like Nesta and then two words put together like knife cleaver or dust laughter or spirit carol or so, kill hand. So did you populate all of those words? I have, I have a list for each of those three. It's basically three words put together, a first name and then a second name and a third name. And I did, I did put those lists together. Yeah. How, how many in each list? It's like a hundred, a hundred per. Okay, that's not horribly unreasonable. No, it's not. It's not crazy. Maybe. I, maybe I need to. I need to, uh, to to get your help on on some stuff I was working on the other the, the couple well, a month or two ago. I should have brought it up on behind the name screen. I was trying to come up with um, what was it? The a thousand doors, a thousand descriptions of a thousand different doors. I was inspired by uh, having read um, the Never Ending Story, and there's the Temple of a Thousand Doors, and yeah. you just sort of make your choices, and and the choices you make after four or five or ten or whatever doors, you know pops you out at a different location depending on the choices you made but i needed like tons and tons of doors (laughs) yeah so that one of the things i like about this random name generator is you can use it for things like a name of an inn you know Mm -hmm. or or a name of a a party so you could have like the earth slicers you know the earth slicer hobgoblin party Mm -hmm. makes you know that works right um you know the 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 the, uh you know the end of the, the you know the songhouse inn you know they they it works pretty well uh, random names are a huge tool, huge valuable cool. tool. I find. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank if you. People, if people want to find Mike Shea, where should they go? Uh, slyflourish.com or twittercom slyflourish. Very good. And, and from there, you can find everything else that he and does. Everything else. Yep. So very good. Uh, and and uh, you talked about the current Kickstarter. Anything else that you've got going on that people should be looking out for? Any, you writing any more and, adventures for other people or whatever? Uh, I just had a uh, essay published in the Cobalt uh, Cobalt Press. Just put out a guide to game mastering, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm one of one of the essays is mine. Um, I wrote they they commissioned me for that earlier in the year and it's in there so I'm very proud of that I I offer an essay on uh, what can long term DMs uh, learn about the game mm-hmm. like what you know tips for long term DMs mm-hmm. uh, rather than just new DMs we focus on new DMs a lot but what what about us old farts like what can we learn more right. of and a lot of it is like go watch the YouTube's old man you know like, <laughs> we'll see how people are playing D D these days because it might be different than the way you play D D. well and that's that, yeah i find that a lot uh, as a as an ex- more experienced dm like i don't i i almost never hear new advice no but i'll hear advice that like oh i hadn't thought about that in a while and it might inspire me for something or whatever right or go watch something online and, and that inspires right. something that i oh yeah i remember thinking about that 15 years ago and i haven't played with that idea in a while so yeah i just i'm, I'm yeah so my i think the essay is kind of like summarized in uh three words which is always be learning but a, a person that i have in mind there's a fellow named will jones so he does a twitch channel called encounter roleplay right and he's a pretty young guy and he plays 40 hours of D a week Ooh, that's a full-time job 40 it's his and it's his full-time job so i think about like us old guys who have been playing with first and second edition right he wasn't born when that was out and now his full-time job is playing D online mm-hmm. that's something we old timers can learn from not necessarily how to get a full-time job playing D, but just you know watching you know watching somebody that like he he has amassed more experience playing that many games 
that a lot of say, people depending on how long he's been doing it he may have played right. more hours of D&D he than I have more hours of D&D than we have right and that's so that's where it's like you know yeah dig the stuff I didn't even I hadn't really found his podcast until I was looking through all that Twitter data and I was like oh my god look at this it's got Does he release it as a podcast or just a video channel uh, I think it's just a video channel it's yeah, up right. on YouTube uh, as well but I don't think it's out as a podcast okay so, you yeah. keep calling it a podcast, so I just want to be clear. I for know, people. I, you know, because I'm old and I don't understand new things. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a podcaster, the difference is important to me. So. I know it's not a podcast; it's a Twitch channel. Okay. Right on. Well, now people cool. have another thing to check out. Yep. yep. All right. Well, so besides that, else is out there. But yeah, everything, everything, all day for the next month is going to be about the Kickstarter, and pretty much for the rest of the year is going to be about the Kickstarter. Yeah, I'm sure. Getting that book out the door, and then and then whatever the next Kickstarter is for 2018, right? Yep, I already know. Do you? I, I figured you would. Yeah, I got a thing. A lot of times I get early hints on these things, but I don't know that I've heard anything about the next thing. So I'll You be, and I have it. talked about it before. Pro- probably. Yeah, that's a hint. After all the conversations we've had, <laughs> most yeah, of the time when you when you put out a project, anytime you put out a Kickstarter, it's like, oh, yeah, I could see that, that coming. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's, you know. going to be, it's, it's definitely going to be different than these last two books. It's not like another fantastic series thing. Okay, cool. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to it. I think I've backed all of your Kickstarter so far. That I won't, don't plan to stop now. You know, unless the unless this ne- this current one uh, just completely You'll blows. Like. We'll see. Oh yeah, yeah. Just falls, <laughs> falls that. Yeah, should be okay. I want more Aeon Wave. That was a fantastic adventure. Great. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I kept. I I always had this idea for Aeon Wave sixty thousand, which was going to be set sixty thousand years after that one. And, uh, you know, I think I wrote an outline and stuff like that and then got busy with other things. That's, that's another one where, like, the audience is relatively small. Although it gets picked up a lot on uh, RPG now because it's, it's pay on demand. Well, and So I'll, it makes $3, but it downloads 150 times a month. But it was, I mean, the, running that adventure was probably the most fun I've ever had running a game. So That is awesome to hear. It's, it was a great adventure and people should check it out. And I, I, sometimes I wish it was, like, part one of a series, you know, and we could just yeah. do a whole campaign of it. But yeah. Yeah. that's the world we live in. All right, well, besides thanking Mike Shea for joining us, I also want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show who get a first peek at what we're doing on the show. Uh, and, of course, uh, I want to thank everybody who heads over to thetomeshow.com and clicks on the links for Amazon or DMs Guild. Uh, when you do that, you, you get the same experience, but we get a couple of coppers. If you'd like to give a suggestion on other people we should talk to, I've got a long list, largely from the patrons, um, uh, but I'm always open to taking in more people for my list of people we should talk to on Gamer to Gamer. You can email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. This has been Gamer to Gamer with Mike Shea, because sometimes you have to get out from behind the DM screen and meet people. The Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome. I'm on the wall.